Hello everyone. We all okay? Good stuff. Right, kids, I know you're staying in, so older kids, you should certainly be able to follow what I'm talking about. Younger kids, you could maybe pick up some stuff, but adults, what I want to say to you is, don't worry about the kids. They're safe in here, all right. The next 20, 25 minutes, or however long I choose to speak, or however long God chooses to speak through me before he boots me off, just let the kids be, okay? I'm going to speak today. Um, I'm going to read, first of all, I'm reading from 1 Timothy, and I'm going to cover something that we've done in our Bible study. For those of you that have been to our Bible study over the past few weeks, you will probably know more than me about this, because you've been doing it so well. Um, I'm reading from 1 Timothy, and I'm in chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verses 12 to 17, and then I'm going to speak. Um, Jill, Sheldon, I haven't got any slides or anything to put up, but what does um, Back to the Future, Marty McFly, what does he say to that band at the end? Marvin Berry and the Starlighters, is it? He, he says something, watch me for the changes and try to keep up. Okay, so those verses, 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17, I'll be using them and, and referring to them, so... Watch me for the changes and try to keep up. Perfect. I know you're always one step ahead of me anyway. Okay, let me read. Let me read. This is what it says. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. And what I want to say to us this morning, or what I believe God wants to say to us this morning is that we must never forget the simple, profound truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. You see, the gospel... The gospel, in a nutshell, the good news of Jesus Christ is the message of God's abundant, transforming grace for sinners like me and like you. Saul, or Paul, Saul the persecutor was transformed into Paul the preacher. No one, not one person on this earth is beyond God's abundant grace. 
And when God's grace in Christ floods into a person's life, it radically transforms that person. And no one is too far removed. No one is too full of sin that God's grace cannot reach them. I'm looking at verses 13, well, kind of towards the end of verse 13 and verse 14. And I want to say this. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is based upon God's mercy and abundant grace. Why does God save us? God doesn't save us because of any worthiness on our part. God doesn't save us because we deserve it. It's all His mercy. It's all His grace. When Paul is speaking here, and it's Paul who's speaking to Timothy in this letter, Paul doesn't suggest in any way that he merited God's favour. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Paul describes God's grace as being more than abundant in verse 14. And Paul actually coins a new word here. He creates a new word because he adds the Greek prefix or prefix to the word called hyper. He adds hyper. And do you know what hyper means? It means over and above and beyond. And he adds it to a word that already means superabundant. So Paul uses this hyper superabundant word to explain how good God's grace is, how much God's grace is. It's more than abundant. It's hyper superabundant is the way that Paul describes it. God's grace flooded over Paul like waves and kept coming and coming and coming. But not only is God's grace more abundant, but it's also the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You see, God is the supplier of everything that we need. The perfect provider. God is the supplier of all that we need for this life and the next. He gives us the faith to believe in Christ for salvation. He fills us with the love of Christ that flows over from us to others. Wendy's already demonstrated that this morning. When she stood up and told us about what happened this weekend, I hope you don't mind me referring to it again, Wendy. She only had to look at Carol or Jill or Katie or Beck and in return, they only had to look at her to see God's grace at work in her life. It took no more than a look. God's grace is abundant. More than enough. More than we need. And yet He gives it. And it's evident. You see, Wendy can stand up here this morning and can honestly join in with Paul in affirming 
the abundant grace of, of God in our life? Can each of us do that? Can each of us experience where we've said, God's grace is super abundant in my life? We live in a day when many professing Christians deny the all-sufficiency of God and His grace in Christ Jesus. And God has graciously provided another battery abundantly more What did God say to Paul, the apostle, in 2 Corinthians 12? Well, I'll tell you, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need anything more than my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. The average person in our culture cynically views that as too simplistic or as unsophisticated or as naive, if you believe that. But listen, it's a promise from God. His grace is sufficient. Paul describes it as hyper, super abundant, more than you could ever need, and yet there it is. If God's grace and the faith and the love within Christ Jesus are not more than abundant in our lives, then let me tell you, the problem's not with God's grace. Either we haven't understood the fundamental truth of the gospel, that it is all of grace, or we haven't learned how to appreciate God's grace for our every need. Whatever, it's not God's grace at fault, it's us. Moving into verse 15. Paul talks about the gospel and who it's for. The gospel is for sinners. Not a nice word, I know. And we've heard many uplifting messages this morning. You're probably sat there thinking, what are you coming talking to me about sin for? Telling me I'm a sinner. But I count myself in that number. It's not me standing here speaking to you and excluding myself. The Bible says, God says, His grace, His salvation, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is for sinners. Christ came to save, seek and save those who were lost. Christ came for those who were sinners. So, if you're a basically good church-going person and there's not a lot wrong with you, Christ didn't come for you, He came for sinners. If you're a person with a few faults and shortcomings, Christ didn't come, he came for sinners. If you're a person with too much dignity and self-worth to call yourself a sinner, Christ didn't come for you. You're ruling yourself out. He came for sinners. And sometimes the gospel we hear preached in our day is a nicely worded message. You know, one that tells you you can achieve your full potential or you can feel good about yourself in every way, and you can succeed in your family life, 
and all your business dealings will be great and all your problems will be solved and you'll have a wonderful peace of mind. And there are even Christian books, I've seen them, that promise to help you lose weight by building up your self-esteem. But where's the message of Jesus Christ in that? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's what Jesus said. It's what Paul has said. That's what the gospel is all about. And Paul underscores it by saying this in this statement. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy statement and we should fully pay attention to it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of which I am the worst. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners in verse 15. And it's significant, I think, that Paul makes this statement. Because when he makes this statement, listen, Paul is not a new believer. He's not new to the faith. He's probably walked with God at this point in time for around about 25 years. And you can trace in the, in the Scriptures a chronological progression in Paul's statements about himself. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. In Ephesians 3, which is written later, he says, I am the very least of all the saints. And then here in 1 Timothy, which is written later again, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Notice what he doesn't say. Notice that he doesn't say, I was the chief of sinners. Even though he had, had a wicked past. He had blasphemed Jesus, the Son of God. He had persecuted the church. He was a violent aggressor. And these are his own words, not mine. These are Paul's own words to describe himself. But he doesn't say, I was the chief of sinners. But rather he says, I am. I am the chief of sinners. You see, what I want to suggest, the reason for Paul saying this, the closer a person walks with God, and Paul was close, the closer a person walks with God, the more he or she is aware of the depths of their sinful nature. Which in turn drives that person to a deeper appreciation of the grace of God. There's a guy called Alexander McLaren. Not a very well-known name, to be honest, but he was a, he was a Baptist minister. And he was in charge of the early Baptist church in this country. And he said this, he said, the more you become like Christ, the more you will find out your unlikeness to him. And when you think about that, that's really, really deep. The more you become like Jesus, the more you're going to realise you're not like Jesus. And then there's another guy, some of you will know this one a little bit better. There's a fellow called C.S. Lewis. He wrote some books. He said a few things. But he said this, 
When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still in him. And when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. Is that a lesson that we are learning? As we walk with God on a daily basis, are we learning more and more and more the sinfulness within our own self, within our own heart? And does this in turn drive us to be more and more thankful for God's grace in our lives? You see, each of us need to learn that we are the chief of sinners. Each of us need to view ourselves in that same way that Paul did. Because then each of us will be wholly independent upon God and will wholly realise just how gracious He has been to us in Christ Jesus. You see, if we're not and we don't realise that, then there's a danger we might fall into pride, into self-righteousness, into self-reliance. And we will never love God much because we won't realise just how much we've been forgiven. The gospel is purely based upon the mercy and the abundant grace of God in Christ Jesus. And the gospel is for sinners. I want to skip back to verse 12 now. I know we've done 13, 14 and 15 and I'm going out of order. But I'm going to go back to verse 12. Because having said that, the gospel is for sinners. The gospel transforms sinners into servants. Paul said that God put him into service. If you have a King James version of the Bible, it'll say that Paul was put into the ministry. The New Testament teaches that if God has saved you from your sin, then He has put you into the ministry. Just like He did with Paul. You and I are just as accountable to God for our ministry or for God's ministry through us as Paul was. We're all just as much in that ministry. No one is exempt or left out or excluded. So I've got another question for you. Are each of us seeking God for that ministry, for that work that He wants us to do? Do we see ourselves every bit as much a minister of God's work as a priest or as a minister or as a pastor or as an elder or as Paul? Do we each consider ourselves every much a minister as Paul was? What about our jobs that we do, our work, our employment? Most of us in here have a job. There's some of us that don't, but most of us do. Or most of us have someone in our family that works. Do we view those jobs 
as the be-all and end-all? Or do we view those jobs as a means to support ourselves so that we can serve the Lord? Some people have the two that are rolled into one. Some people are paid to be a minister or to be in the ministry. But most of us here can't say that. And yet God has given us a job, most of us. He's provided for us. But do we view those jobs as that's the main thing that we do in our life? Or do we view those jobs as, you know what, that's what God has given me to allow me to support myself or my family or whoever it is so that I can then do his work. And some of you might say, I can't do that. I can't do those things that other people do. But notice what it says in verse 12. Have I still got verse 12 up there? How did Paul have the strength to do what he was told to do? Who gave Paul the strength to do his work in the ministry? Well, it's the same person that gives you the strength and gives me the strength to do the work that he wants us to do. It's God. So when God calls you, when God saves you and gives you a responsibility and says, you've got some work for me to do for me now, he also gives you the strength to be able to do it. The Lord strengthened Paul and he will strengthen us as well to serve him. He wants us to be faithful. The aim of the gospel is not to get a bunch of people to be sat here for an hour and a half on a Sunday and then on you go. That's not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to transform sinners into servants of Jesus. To take people from the pit and restore them to life that they might serve and glorify the Lord for what he's done in their life. The purpose of the gospel is to take us sinners to transform us into something completely new, into servants of Jesus who live 24 hours a day, seven days a week to serve him. Paul gives us another example. We should often recall our own experience of the gospel. We need to remember our former sins and God's grace. That's one reason, actually, that we observe the Lord's Supper every week when we meet. Sometimes we can forget His great salvation. Sometimes we can be blasé about it, about what He did for us. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this so you don't forget what I've done for you. Do this so you remember my grace in your life. I want to point out quickly just four things 
four things that Paul experienced in recalling what God had done for him. And I want to suggest to you that if you recall what God has done for you, these four things you will do also. The first one is that recalling our experience of the gospel will make us thankful. Still in verse 12. As Paul thought about the gospel of the glory of God and how it saved him from his sinful past, what are the first words out of his mouth? Or written down on papyrus or whatever they wrote on. I thank. I thank Christ Jesus. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. When Paul recalled his past and knew from where he'd come and where a God had brought him to, the first words out of his mouth are, I thank the Lord. It'll make us thankful. Do we want hearts of gratitude to God? Then we need to pause frequently and remember our own experience of the gospel. So one, we'll be thankful. Two, it'll make us humble. Verses 13 to 15, Paul was gifted. Paul was brilliant. Paul was influential. Paul was blessed by God. He wasn't proud. He could honestly say, as he records in 1 Corinthians, by the undeserved favour of God, I am what I am. There's a lady called Elizabeth Elliot. And she tells how she once heard her young daughter singing to her kitten. And she sings this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. To the cat. And the reason I bring that up, I know it's a bit daft, but the reason I bring that up, it's easy for us to look at others and see that they need God's undeserved favour. It's easy, isn't it, to look at someone and go, you know what you need? You need God's grace, you do. But what about me? What about us? Dead easy for us to go, you need God's grace in your life. How often do we turn the finger around and do that? We tend to think we're not too bad. We're going along all right. We're getting by. But we need to realise just as much as Paul, that God's grace saved a wretch like me. And it'll keep us from looking down in pride on others. So God's gospel and reviewing it and looking back at it will make us thankful. It will make us humble. And then in verse 16, we'll see that it'll make us useful. Paul says, I am an example of God's perfect patience. If he can save someone like me, then he can save anybody. You see, no one, as I said earlier, no one is too far from God or too hard a case for God's grace to deal with. 
If you will believe that Christ will save you, the sinner, then you will have eternal life and be used of God just as Paul was. One of the keys to being used by God is to be truthful in your experience with Him. If He has saved you from your sin and you're applying the sound teaching of His Word so that you're growing in holiness, then your life will be changed. Because it's not you that's doing the work. It's God. Your life will be changed and you will be used to change others. But if we're just those people who come to church for an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday, and we're not really confronting our sin, or we're not really looking at God's Word, or we're not spending any time in prayer with Him, then in reality are we really living what God wants us to live? In reality, are we really going to be used by God in the way that we could be? Have we found mercy? Have we found mercy in God as sinners? If so, God wants to use that for us to bring mercy to others. So recalling our experience of the gospel should make us thankful. It should make us humble. And it should make us useful. And lastly, in verse 17... It should make us full of worship. As Paul thought about what God had done for him, he broke into praise. Spontaneous worship. I want you to notice what Paul talks about here as well. What are the attributes of God which Paul praises here? he's going back sitting down <laughs> what are the attributes of God that Paul praises here eternal immortal invisible I want you to look at those and see that Paul's not praising his grace God's grace he's not praising God's love and God's patience because he's already spoken about that he's already extolled all those virtues Paul's talking about stuff here. He's praising and worshipping stuff that makes God different to us. All the things that God, are, God is that we're not. The gospel draws us near to receive mercy. But having received it, we're also to realise that God is altogether apart from us. God is altogether above us. Greater than we can ever imagine. God is king of the ages. We're finite subjects. He is immortal. Our physical bodies are subject to death. He is invisible. But we live in the realm of which things are seen. He is the only God. And we most definitely are not God's. All we can do is bow in wonder and adoration that such a God could choose to save undeserving sinners like us. Look at it again. He's the King Eternal. 
He's immortal. He's invisible. And he's the only God. And this person, this person chose to show grace and mercy to me and you in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we find our hearts welling up with spontaneous praise and worship just as Paul did? Sometimes we do. I'll admit that sometimes when we sing the hymn that we sang earlier, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd from Psalm 23, that many times brings me personally to that position. I'm sure you'll have your own hymns, you'll have your own prayers, you'll have your own things that draw you closer to God in that way. But that one in particular does it for me. And there's another one. And it's amazing grace. There was a guy called John Newton. And John Newton was a wild and drunken sailor. And I'm going to finish with this. His language was so foul that his own captain, who by the way was no kind of goody two-shoes, his own captain rebuked him for his language. This guy, John Newton, was often put in irons and whipped for his rebellion. John Newton became a slave trader, falling even further into sin. John Newton narrowly escaped death a couple of times. And finally, after nearly perishing in a severe storm at sea, he turned to God. And he was saved. And even after that, he remained in slave trading for a few years. And eventually, by God's grace, he became a pastor. You may or may not know the name of John Newton. But you'll certainly know the hymn that he wrote. He wrote Amazing Grace. He took a quote from Deuteronomy 15 and he put it in bold letters over the mantle of his study where he could see it every day. And this is what he had written there. And it's in Old English, it's all thou's and these, and but I'll read it as it was. Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Every day, he'd stare at that. You will remember that you were in bondage, you were trapped, you were a slave. And I, the Lord your God, redeemed you from where you were. John Newton also wrote his own epitaph. And it read this. John Newton, Clark, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, 
pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. John Newton's an incredible picture of a man who was transformed by the work of the gospel, by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to call sinners. He came to change sinners' lives. John Newton never, ever forgot that he was a great sinner. But he never forgot that he'd found even greater mercy and grace in Christ. Neither did Paul forget. Neither should we forget. As it says in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your truth. Father, we thank you that your grace and your mercy abounds in our lives. Lord, help us just to realize that little bit more how much you've done for us. Help us, Lord, to be that little bit more grateful for all the work you've done in us. Help us, Lord, to be able to show the grace that you've put in our lives to others. Bless us, Lord, as we go from here this week and bring us back safely when next we meet. We ask it in your name. Amen.